This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. So we... We are back here for the second part on phenomenology, embodiment and meaning in movement and meaning in physical education uh, with Professor Erwin Standar. And I recommend to listen to the first part because we continue building upon what we discussed. But so let's for today continue exploring and start talking more explicitly about different types of meaning and whether we can distinguish somehow deeper or maybe more shallow meanings in in physical education. So we had this really nice little symposium at the Norwegian School of Sport Sciences a year ago, which was the title was Sport and Meaning. and, And there were like a lot of very interesting presentations. And in your work, you were developing these ideas in relation to so-called shallow and deep learning. So there would be these two types of learning. Mm. And then you made some preliminary links to shallow and deep meaning in that talk as well. So can we maybe start with exploring what what is deep learning and what is shallow learning? Yeah. yeah. So the, the starting point for my presentation then was that we have a a curriculum reform in Norway in the school system. And one of the key words, sort of the buzzword that comes out of that reform is that teachers and schools should work towards deep rather than shallow learning. Mm-hmm. And this is taken from sort of the educational literature that sees shallow learning as memorization of facts where teachers are not or student teachers and students are not connecting new material to previous material in any strong way and that deep learning is in many ways the opposite it's about understanding the underlying structures and concepts of a subject or the ability to solve problems in new situations uh, and about being reflective of one's own learning process. So one example of this, which uh, is from my private experience from uh, reading history with my eighth grade, my son who is in eighth grade, and he was reading about Napoleon. Mm -hmm. And for, for the test, he had to memorize the crucial dates in Napoleon's life when he was born, when he came to power, when the Battle of Waterloo was. And then the chapter also spoke about how he came to 
power in a coop through a coop and mm-hmm. i asked my son do you know what a coop is and he said no i don't know it's it's not it's not part of the learning objectives <laughs> and this was and this was at the exact time same time that um, transition of power after the elections in the US was going on and uh, the storming of the Capitol Hill so I thought this was an excellent example of how this his history teacher was emphasizing sort of this shallow memorization of facts whereas connecting this historic event with recent event might have led the students in eighth grade to understand more about transition of power and so on so I think that that's a good example of how the difference between deep and shallow learning right but if we go back to to this to the presentation that i had then i think that <clears throat> the diagnosis of the school system as providing shallow education is, is quite similar to the diagnosis that is constantly put on fiscal education as being a mile wide and an inch deep where Students are introduced to a range of different activities, but they do not learn anything beyond the basics. Mm-hmm. But the challenge or the problem for fiscal education in Norway at the moment when the government asks for deep learning is that the conceptualization of deep learning as being about understanding important concepts and underlying structures of a subject is it's is readily applicable to more theoretical subjects like history but what it means for the practical and aesthetical subject is an open question so so that that's where my sort of my presentation that's the problem that my presentation took up. And I I was drawing there on um, Kretschmar's work on, on meaning in physical education and movement culture, which he, to- he also talks about shallow meaning. And then he, he lists three different kinds of sort of shallow meaning, which is prudential meaning which is to say to students that exercise is useful for health purposes mm-hmm. and it talks about intellectual meaning which is sort of if you if you know something about movement culture then that creates meaning for you and then his last shallow meaning is affective meaning which is fun and enjoyment and he says that these three types of meaning are sort of precursors to movement it's something that is used to by teachers to argue for why students should be taking part in movement but Mm. it doesn't it doesn't really go into the to sort of the deeper levels of meaning that may come when learners are more committed over time to develop skills habits values and being part dwelling as he says in movement subcultures yeah so i think what you're saying about for example emphasizing the health benefits and that's certainly something that is really taking over our movement culture more broadly Mm. physical education as well that you have to get people more physically active or otherwise they will get sick so that's certainly not not just about physical education, but our 
whole movement culture as well. Mm. Mm. And I guess the other part, what you talk about, enjoyment, positive emotions, mm. having mm. fun is is certainly something that is like also emphasized that what you do should be something that you <laughs> you can have fun doing it. And I think that because it's it's really difficult to sort of say that well fun and enjoyment is to say that that's sort of shallow because what's the alternative you cannot be against having fun in a mm. way so it's it's hard to critique it but if i think that if we look more closely into our own experiences with movement or being for instance sport persons it's mm. not always fun. It's sometimes it's really, really hard. It's frustrating and it's tiring and you get wet and cold. So it's, I think that if we just take a little bit more time to think about this, this, if we require everything to be fun the whole time, then I guess we're missing out on something which is really important in movement cultures. Yeah. So in your blog, you you recently wrote a post about skiing this loop where young children are being taken out and you call it the protest loop. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Which I think... It has been it, a lot of fun to see all the kids, you know. <laughs> some are screaming and some are just lying in the <laughs> snow and... <laughs> swearing yeah yeah but <laughs> anyway but but i think it's a it's a good illustration about sometimes you just have to do things that are difficult and that because you have to get over that barrier in order to to sort of enjoy what kretschmer would call the sort of the deeper levels of meaning that yeah. await us so I, mm-hmm. as a parent myself i've i have put my kids through those kinds of experiences and i yeah and i've sort of they want to they have wanted to quit an activity uh, but we we've told them that you have to you've begun this this semester so you have to stay until the end of the semester then you can choose take take a new choice yeah. But if we if we just say if we just give in to this idea of everything should be fun all the time, then as I said, I think we miss out on something important. Hmm. Why do you think it's a way that if we are talking about many of the other school subjects, like there isn't an emphasis that math mathematics or biology should be fun, hmm. but but in physical education, there it's one of these things that are often lifted to the fore. So, why is it such a different approach to PE? I think that um, on on one, I don't know the subject that you mentioned are mathematics and biology. I think teachers and students accept that it's hard. It's supposed yeah. to it's supposed to be hard, but I think another. Ex- Another relevant comparison should be to, if you take the uh, Norwegian or Finnish or English language, when they students read literature, I think all teachers in those subjects, they really want their students to learn 
to like to read literature, but I don't think I don't think everyone expects that all pupils will go on to read poetry their whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe this is also tied to what you you said earlier about how we are we seem to be committed to this cause of health promotion. Mm. That it's part of the almost like the mission statement of physical education to make pupils not only take part in physical activity, but also to enjoy physical activity for the rest of their lives, which is a really tall order for to put on ourselves as physical educators. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've been may, maybe it's maybe it should be good enough if we have really tried to show them some of the values that they might find in movement cultures and then accept that some students just think that no this is not for me just like if they go through you know read poetry they learn about how to analyze a poem and then they know something about literature and different kinds of literature and then they can take an informed choice that I would rather spend my time doing other things. Maybe we could do something similar in physical education as well. Yeah, which is really a radical idea. It does go against the grain because now it does feel that it's almost like a moral question of, you know, people, mm. everybody has to be physically active or otherwise you are a bad citizen, you know, mm. a burden to the society yeah, if you yeah. get sick and, and so forth. Yeah. So we are witnessing a lot of interest in meaning. You just mentioned what you presented in, in our symposium about different types of meanings and, and Kretschmar's work that you have drawn upon. And now we have a lot of interest in, in this concept of meaning and meaningfulness. And a big thanks is to the Meaningful PE research team and project uh, with Tim Fletcher and, and Deirdre Kroinen. But certainly there are a lot of other people as well who are working within within this area and, and developing these ideas. So. What are your thoughts in terms of this quite promising and this exciting area of research and and maybe linking to what you talked about, these different types of meaning just a little earlier? Mm. I think that this interest in meaning, it's as I was talking about in the previous episode, it's not really something new. I think that the, the meaning dimension has been a part of the philosophy of physical education for 50 years at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's maybe a sort, of, a sort of pessimistic view would be to say that uh, it's just yet another attempt at getting to grips with something, with an enduring problem, an enduring challenge for physical education, which is to argue for why it should be a part of the school system. And then another approach could be to say, which was something that we also touched upon earlier, is to say that it's really hard to pinpoint what what meaning is and how meaning is 
expressed and experienced. So it's it's uh, just another take on on a an enduring problem for physical educators to say what is the meaning with being in movement? Why should we put our students through it? Yeah. Um, I think that the work of Fletcher and Necronen and that research group has has done a, they have done a really good job in trying to pinpoint the pedagogical consequences that might lead teachers to think more thoroughly about what the meaning or how to provide students with meaning. Mm. But as we've been talking about already now, I think that, for instance, this the emphasis on fun, while it's it's really hard to be against it or to criticize it, it might also be something that is too easy to sort of cling to that idea that it should be fun instead of trying to explore more yeah, deeper connections that students may obtain to an activity or a movement culture. Yeah, I I think one one part that certainly came through already, but we maybe could develop that a little bit more, is this temporal aspect that yeah. there is this long-term yeah. commitment and immersion. And mm. I mean, Kretschmar also talks about you need to learn the culture and the subcultural meanings and become part of that subculture. And after that, mm. that might become more meaningful for you. So certainly these phenomenological perspectives have always emphasized time and how mm. we are mm. temporal beings. So maybe we can extend on that a bit. Yeah, um, so Kretschmar talked about dwelling, dwelling in movement culture. So this dwelling perspective goes back to it goes back to Heidegger, mm. and also the anthropologist Tim Ingol has talking about dwelling and relating it to skills and the surrounding environment. And I think there is an interesting connection be- on an etymological level between habit, which is the way that we express our practical knowledge, and this idea of dwelling in an environment, which is to inhabit a movement culture. So maybe um, an idea would be to sort of say that in in order to sort of obtain these more deeper, deeper levels of meanings. I'm not really sure if level of meaning is a very good term, but these deeper senses of meaning. We have to inhabit the movement culture. We have to become a part of it and live live with it in in a way. Yeah. To continue from that, I wanted you to also maybe elaborate a few words on this work you are doing with Kenneth Agerholm on on practicing. So when you Mm. are talking about this, you know, more longer term Mm. involvement in the activity and earlier you said that you wouldn't allow your children to stop right now, Mm. but Mm. they also have to 
you know, go through this certain period and it might be difficult, but you need to do something for a long enough time. And mm. and that talks about practicing. So yeah. and with Kenneth, you are working on, on the concept of practicing. You've done this work for a few years already. So that will be a topic of a completely other episode. But if we try to link the idea of practicing a little bit to these ideas yeah. that we now talked about today, that would be mm. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So so the first thing we have to say then is that practicing when we spell it in English, it's practicing with an S and not a C. So it's about these repeated efforts of improvement that in German it would be üben and in the Scandinavian languages it would be öve. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not practicing only in the sense of being part of something. It's repeated efforts at improvement. And we've been developing this pedagogical model where we try to say something about what teachers or how teachers can work with practical skills, practical knowledge over time uh, in order to to develop. Um, more well deeper forms of learning then um, and there are a couple of issues that are relevant for our conversation now the first is that in this practicing this is from especially from german educational literature practicing is connected to practical knowledge and practical knowledge is there's not really a right or a wrong answer to it it's not like you either you know what the capital of finland is or you don't know it mm. but in practical knowledge there's always always room for qualitatively improving yourself and that also means that the teacher and the student or specifically a student will have negative experiences in the sense of not being able to do what we're trying to do. So negative experiences has a positive value in a way because it's it's necessary for you, for your improvement that you have these experiences of not being able to. This is a part of the learning process. So So in that sense, frustration is just as positive an experience as fun. So I think that's one of the, the ways that uh, this practicing model is relevant to meaning. And it's also the temporal aspect that you cannot practice something only for a few lessons. You have to, if you want to learn something properly, you have to commit time to it. So the time aspect is is important as well. Yeah. And if we then come back to the debate about physical education, that should it be, mm. you know, loads of things, mm. a little bit of everything <laughs> or a little bit more of some something, like a few mm. things. Yeah. I mean, your practicing model is certainly talking about, you know, more time for mm. less things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But where where do you find the balance? <laughs> <laughs> I think that 
one of the the arguments that teachers use for this multi-activity model is that we have to provide the students with different kinds of activities so that they maybe they find one activity that becomes a lifelong passion. I think that's a really questionable idea. I I, I don't think that would stand the, an empirical test. But I think more importantly is that when we say that you should choose something and work in depth rather than do different kinds of activities, then making that choice has to be made on the basis of the students' um, preferences and previous experiences. So one part of this practicing model is that the students get to know their own movement preferences so that they can make an informed choice about what they want to practice. So it needs to be tied into who the students already are when they come to physical education. Yeah, and I guess one of the questions will finish up after this now this comes a little bit out of the blue but (laughs) the way you think about meaning we can talk about this more explicit meaning that Mm. we can we can talk about and we can somehow conceptualize and then we can talk about this more implicit meaning or pre-reflective meaning and so we know that (laughs) children develop and you know like uh, young children are not maybe able to at least explicit mm. explicitly talk about meaning mm. in mm. in that movement and then it comes to what i said about the skiing loop or what i wrote about that like those children would not be skiing no no <laughs> if un- unless they were forced and it was the same when i was a kid like mm. most of the time i was forced to go skiing but Mm. Now I do it myself. Mm. <laughs> and so is meaning then the thing that we really have to, like, do we always want to prioritize that? And and how much <laughs> do we want to prioritize the child's mm. meaning, evolving mm. meaning, developing mm. meaning? And yeah, it, it was just a thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think that uh, if we talk about these children that you have seen, skiing and screaming at the same time yeah. then then it's of, of course it's an empirical question how many of them really come to appreciate skiing later in life and yeah. how many of them develop a, a large distaste for skiing um but the point with that story the protest loop story i think is that meaning also creating meaning is not dependent on having fun all the time Mm. Um, and of course uh, when we talk about children making a choice about what they should practice in physical education there is this danger that, that they only do what they have done earlier so the teacher also has to help them making choices but it should be based on something more than the teachers saying everyone who wants to play football raises their hand and everyone who wants to play 
dodgeball raises their hand. So it, it has to be more of a process that sort of connects the students' experiences and thoughts and preferences to this choice. Mm-hmm. And that has to be done very differently if this is in fifth grade or if it's with 10th graders, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess children sometimes can be quite hedonistic as well, <laughs> just thinking of the skiing example that a lot of children would rather be watching the cartoons and, you know, eating candies at home instead yes. of going skiing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, And that's, that's, that's part of... <laughs> sort of helping children to to achieve these more meaningful experiences is that as adults we have to endure these protests because we we believe strongly that there is something interesting awaiting them once they are occupied with these activities and forget for a short moment that they would that it would be more comfortable to to sit on their iPad for instance <laughs> yeah well i i think this conversation has given me a lot to think about and i think it will be very interesting for the physical education community i know a lot of people are thinking about these ideas and trying to develop these ideas so yeah i I really wanted to thank you for taking the time for our Mm. conversation. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, Nora. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.